What's up, everyone? This is Brian Ward, host of the Data Podcast, the podcast show for dads, about dads, being dads. I'm super excited that you're here and for the guests that I have on the show today. But before we get to the interview, if you have not yet subscribed to my show, please make sure you smash that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. Also, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel as well. The link is in the show notes. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to another episode of Dad Up, everyone. Thank you guys very much for joining me. I'm really excited for the guests that I have on today. Uh, he and I have gotten a chance to kind of meet through social media circles uh, over the last, I don't know, six, eight months. And uh, he, he's a phenomenal, uh, he's gifted in the things that he does. I'm really excited to have him on and to kind of share his unique uh, story. And not only that, to talk about his kids and his family. So uh, it's my pleasure to welcome my good friend, Saul Blinkoff to Dad Up. Welcome to the show, brother. Hey, thanks, Brian. So good to be here. And, you know, I, like I get invited on a lot of podcasts to talk about my career, which I, I'm definitely excited about. But when I get the opportunity to talk about fatherhood and being a parent, that's like I run for those opportunities. So I really appreciate you having me and, and so excited by the work you're doing, man. Oh, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. Um, well, thank you. And I'm glad you took the time out of your day to, to be on. Um, I'm really excited to kind of dive into your backstory because I know before, you know, before we started recording, I was kind of mentioning uh, a little bit of my interests and the things that I had it, that I was interested in growing up. Um, but before we get into all that, you know, for you, I want to hear more about you, your backstory, how you kind of grew up and how you got interested in the things that you were doing and then how you got started yeah. in the career. And then obviously about your family as well. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, look, I, and I grew up in New York. Um, I'm one of three kids. I'm the middle child. I have a twin sister who's six minutes uh, younger than me, which means I'm her big brother, but she doesn't see it that way. But I keep reminding her six minutes means I am your older brother. Right. Um, I also have an older brother. He's a year older than me. Um, and he's into sports and she was an academic and I was like the crazy kid that was climbing trees and building clubhouses and drawing constantly. I was the creative nut of the family. Um, I grew up, like I said, in New York, the East coast, my parents were divorced when I was, when I was young, um, about a year old, uh, my mom eventually remarried. Um, but I went through challenges, you know, your podcast is called dad up. Even when I hear that word now, it, it, it kind of shakes me to my core a little bit because I went years, uh, actually 15 years. I went, if not a little more without speaking to my biological father, once I turned 11 years old and, um, but growing up, you know, uh, dads were a big deal for me. Uh, being a father was a goal that I had one day. I wanted to be a great dad because of that pain that I had gone through. Um, but my real, my real outlet growing up was, was creativity. It was art. You know, I love drawing. Um, I was going to be an artist until I was 11 years old and I went to the movies and I saw a movie that changed my life. I saw the movie ET <laughs> and I remember, you know, watching the screen at the end, the credits were rolling. And I said to my mom, I'm like, mom, that's what I want to do someday. And she's like, what, you want to leave planet earth in a spaceship? I'm like, no, mom, I want to be a filmmaker. And that's when I got the clarity, you know, People I knew were doctors, lawyers, teachers, business owners, bakery owners. I didn't know anybody in the creative world or creative field. 
And I didn't even know that was a job that you could have. All I knew is when I looked up to the screen, it was something that called to me. So I went to the library and I got books on cameras, lenses, storyboarding. I found out that Steven Spielberg, the director of E.T., would make movies every weekend. So I got my sister, my older brother, kids in the neighborhood, and I would make movies. And I made murder movies and monster movies. I made a kidnap movie. One movie, we tied my sister up to a tree really tight. We go into the house to watch the movie. I still remember my mom going, I like the movie, but where's your sister? I said, she's still tied to the tree. What's wrong? (laughs) So look, you know, Brian, I knew I was going to be a filmmaker one day until I got to high school. And when I was in high school, I was about 10th grade, walking down the hall one day and somebody comes up to me. They're like, what are you going to do when you get out of high school? I said, well, I'm going to be a filmmaker. Like, no, you don't want to do that. I said, no, I really do. They said, no, you don't, because if you want to be a filmmaker, you're going to have to move out to Hollywood. And Hollywood is filled with strange weirdos. (laughs) They looked at me and said, you don't want to end up a weirdo, do you? And I said, no, I don't want to end up a weirdo. And right then and there, I gave up on my dream of wanting to be a filmmaker because Mm. one person told me I would end up a weirdo. And it's one of those things that I, I tell my kids all the time. Be careful in life, because so often we will allow another person to say something that will change the path that we're on, that will take the clarity that we have and make it go away. So I gave up on that filmmaking. Instead, my parents said, so what are you going to do? I go, well, I'll, I'll go back to art. So my parents, who are incredibly supportive, got me a private art teacher to come to our home because the high school art program we had was just average. My parents really saw that I was motivated and they got me this incredible art teacher and she taught me to draw from life. Amazing. She said to me, I'll never forget the first day. She said, Saul, drawing is about seeing. It's how you develop your eye to see the world. What lens do we choose to look at life through? And I was terrible at drawing hands. If any, anybody listening is an artist, you know that drawing hands is very difficult. Mm-hmm. I was terrible at drawing hands. And my art teacher saw that I wasn't drawing hands on any of the people I was drawing. She goes, why aren't you drawing those hands? I go, well, that's not fun for me. I don't do that. She goes, okay, here's your homework. Do a drawing of a hand from a different position every single night before you go to bed. You don't do the drawing of the hand, you don't sleep. And I did that. And six months later, I was good at drawing hands. And she taught me one of the most valuable lessons of life. We have to get out of our comfort zone with the goal of turning our weakness into our strength incredible mentor I had. So I was going to be an artist until I went to the movies again. And I saw the movie. Here we go. The Little Mermaid. Okay. This is is BF before Frozen. Okay. So I go see The Little Mermaid. I'm watching that movie. And I'm like, oh my gosh, mom, that's what I want to do. And she's like, what? You want to fall in love with a fish? (laughs) I'm like, no, I want to be an animator. And that's where I got my real, my real clarity because animation combines my two passions, my love of filmmaking, my love of drawing, put them together animation. And plus I found that Disney had a studio in Orlando, Florida. Boom. There I was junior in high school. And I knew exactly what I wanted to do. My dream was to become a Disney animator. That's really how it started. That was really the beginning. Well, let me ask you this. So, okay. So you're a junior in high school. I, I love the examples you brought up, but I mean, you're a junior in high school. You have this, you've figured it out. This is what you're going to do. So how did you get started? I mean, how did you go from, you get, now you're graduating high school and your goal is to go down to Florida. And obviously Disney's just not going to hire some, you know, schmuck yeah, off the street. That's I right. I mean, obviously you have to prove yourself. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because a lot of times people ask me, 
you know, they'll say, well, I have a goal, but I don't know how to achieve it. You know, I always say, to, you know, if, if you go to a great restaurant and you taste a great dessert, creme brulee, tiramisu, whatever it is you like, well, you can make it at home if you have the recipe. It's one thing to get the clarity of what we want to accomplish. It's another thing to find out how. And by the way, that goes for everything. You know, let's look at let's look at this podcast for a second. This I'm sure that everyone who's tuned into this podcast has the same goal. They want to be better dads and moms. They want to grow in life. And to have that clarity, to know what you want to accomplish, that's step one. Step two is you got to walk away with a tool. How do I accomplish it? Because if you don't know the how, it's wasted clarity, never going to happen. Well, back then I wanted to be a Disney animator. I didn't know how to become that. Today, you want to be a Disney animator. You go to a little thing called Google. You type in, how do I be? And you'll find out. But back then, no internet. As my kids say, that's the olden days, right? <laughs> so I didn't have the internet. So what did I have? The most supportive mom in history. My mom took me, not my older brother, not my twin sister, took me on a trip to Disney World to walk me around Disney World. And we're going up to all the Disney cast members. That's what they call their employees. Right. And she's asking them all, oh, my son wants to be a Disney animator. Can you help? It was actually very embarrassing. <laughs> we were getting on the, uh, it's a small world boat ride. We're stepping on the boat ride. And the lady at Disney's like, how many in your party? I'm like two. My mom's like, by the way, my son wants to be a Disney. Can you help him? The lady's like, ma'am, this is a boat ride. You know, <laughs> we don't, we don't hire animators here. So look, we go through the boat ride and we end up, um, uh, coming back and the woman says, look, if you want your son to work at Disney, he's got to go to the Disney casting building. It was four minutes away from where we were in Disney World. That's where they hire all their employees, all their cast members. So we go to this building and Brian, can you imagine what a Disney office building looks like? It was beautiful. It was whimsical, imaginative. It had the doorknobs that look like the ones from Alice in Wonderland that speak made out of brass, like these two wow. phases. I open up the doors I stand in this atrium. I will never forget. There's gold statuettes of Mickey, Donald, Pluto, Goofy. Even the air in there was, was like, like pixie dust in the air. It was, it was the smell of Disney. I loved it. I walk up this ramp. Painted on the ceiling is Peter Pan and Wendy flying off to Neverland. I'm like, that's where I want to go someday. I sit there for the interview, and the woman says, how can I help you? I said, my dream is to become a Disney animator. She goes, well, we don't hire those here. I'm like, well, who do you hire? She goes, well, we hire people that work the rides in the park, people that make the Dumbo ride go up and down. I'm like, no, that's not really my goal. She goes, well, hold on a second. She walks out of the room, comes back in two minutes later and hands me a piece of paper. That piece of paper became the most valuable piece of paper I ever held in my hands. It was a list of eight schools, eight art schools that Disney recruits their artists from. She hmm. says, if you want to be a Disney animator, you need to go to one of these schools. Boom, that was it. That was the recipe. And in my head, I heard an equation. Saul plus go to one of these schools will equal dream of becoming a Disney animator. So I ended up going to one of these schools in Columbus, Ohio, the Columbus College of Art and Design. Incredible school. And I'm telling all of your listeners, when I started at that school, I was by far the worst artist in the school. It's one thing to be a good artist when I was home compared to my brother and my sister. But in the real world of competition, I'm telling you, I was the worst artist in the school. I still remember I was surrounded by people that wanted to work at Disney. I remember walking into one of the guy's rooms the first week. I peek into this guy's room and I see he's got Mickey Mouse slippers. 
And I'm like, what kind of guy wears Mickey Mouse slippers? No offense to anybody listening. If you're a dad with Mickey Mouse slippers, I don't judge. That's okay. And I said, like, in my head, like, what kind of guy wears Mickey Mouse slippers? So I walk into this guy's room and I see he's got a Mickey Mouse bedspread, Mickey Mouse telephone, Mickey Mouse clock, Disney movie posters everywhere. It was literally Disney World in a room. The guy wasn't in the room at the time. And I'm just looking through his stuff, which is kind of creepy, I guess, but whatever. So I pick up a sketchbook in the corner that he has and I look at it and it's drawings of Mickey Mouse. Like this guy draws Mickey Mouse nonstop. I see another sketchbook he has. It says on the front hands and feet i'm like oh hands that's one of those things my art teacher had me draw let's see how good he is i open it up i'm looking through and i see all his drawings have four fingers and they're white gloves yeah they're mickey mouse hands from like all these different positions so i was drawing my hand this guy was drawing mickey hands this guy's mickey mouse crazy right i turn to leave the room and i bump into the guy whose room it is Uh uh-oh i'm busted i look at him i go hey hey, man i'm sorry and he looks at me and says how are you doing no way. I said, I'm good. What's your name? He says, my name's Jason, but people call me Mickey Mouse, Jason. I'm like, they call you what? He goes, Mickey Mouse. I'm like, I heard you. You have a Disney nickname. He's like, what? You don't? I'm like, no, I don't. I go back to my dorm room. I get on the phone with my mom. I'm like, mom, if I'm going to fit in in the school, you're going to have to send me Mickey Mouse slippers. I mean, I was surrounded by everyone that knew Disney and I never grew up drawing Mickey Mouse. I was intimidated. One week later, sitting in the auditorium at school, because there's a presentation from the head of Disney animation coming to our school. This guy's name was Bill Matthews. He was 70 years old, had a white beard. He was one of the original animators on Sleeping Beauty. He used Mm. to hang out with Walt Disney. Like to me, it was seeing Walt Disney himself on that stage. And he stands on that auditorium filled with 750 students, every freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior. And he looks out to us and he says, how many of you want to be Disney animators? Let me just see. And I'm telling you, Brian, every hand went up. Wow. And he said, out of the 750 of you, maybe, just maybe four of you will ever work there. That's how competitive it is. Well, and thanks. I remember when he said that, I remember thinking one thing. I wonder who the other three are going to be. Right. <laughs> because you know what? In life, we either believe in ourselves that we can accomplish or we don't. And I mean, deep down, not what we post on Instagram, not what we post on Facebook, not what we talk about, but deep down, do I really believe that I can accomplish? Well, at that point in my life, I did. And um, he said, if you want to get into Disney, you need the internship. In order to get that, you need a portfolio filled with hundreds of drawings of humans and animals from life, figure Mm -hmm. drawing and anatomy, no drawings from cartoons, no cartoon characters. And especially he goes, no drawings of Mickey Mouse. I was like, oh, yeah, Mickey Mouse, Jason. You could see him like, you know, slouching his chair in the back, you know, oh, boy, you know. <laughs> but to me, that equation was building. First, it was Saul plus go to one of these schools will equal dream. Now it's Saul. You need a portfolio filled with figure drawing and anatomy to equal the dream of Disney. So um, I started working very hard on my drawing. Uh, sophomore year, I got my drawings together. I sent them into Disney and I got a letter back on Disney stationery said, Saul, thanks for sending your portfolio in, but I didn't make it. I was rejected. Um, I didn't really care that I was rejected that first time because I didn't expect to get in. I was a sophomore. I just wanted to go through the process. Matter of fact, I remember being excited that the Disney company knew I was alive. They had my name printed on an envelope, you know, 
I put that rejection letter up over my desk. You know, people were coming into the dorm room. Wow, blink off. The Disney company knows you're alive. Like, it was pretty cool. Um, and it was also around that time that I met this guy, Andy. Andy became my best friend. Um, he was absolutely the best artist in the school by far because the guy never stopped drawing. And I can tell you, just me being friends with someone like that made me a much better artist because, you know, who we choose to be friends with actually affects who we become. You know, and as a father, I tell that to my kids all the time. I want my kids to hang out with kids that are going to bring the best out of them. And, you know, for those parents listening, you know, when your kid's young, when they're in like first and second grade, you know, you can kind of control who they're going to see on their own time, play dates and stuff. But when they become teenagers, when they're 12 and 13 and 14 and older, they're going to want to spend time with who they want to spend time with. And we hope that they're going to spend time with people that have the right values. Well, we want that for our kids, but who are we choosing to spend time with? What are the values of our friends? We need to choose wisely also. And let me just tell you, just being friends with this guy made me a much better artist. I remember one time Andy and I uh, went to the zoo, you know, like I was saying, Brian, we had to draw animals in our portfolio you know, when you guys watch a movie like The Lion King, how do you think Disney animators know how to draw elephants and lions? You don't just wake up with a blank piece of paper and know how to draw an animal. You got to study that animal for hundreds of hours. So one day we go to the zoo with like 15 students and uh, it was one of those freezing, bitter cold days in Columbus, Ohio, freezing. And we get to this zoo, 15 students on a bus. And we go right into the Wendy's cafe that they had at the Columbus Zoo. And at the zoo, we're in that cafe and I'm getting a hot drink and everyone's getting hot drinks and the boys are talking to the girls. The girls are talking to the boys. After about five minutes, Andy and I sharpen our pencils. We go out and we're trying to find an animal to draw and we get to these elephants. And there's this one elephant, Brian, who's walking back and forth, repeating the same motion over and over again, which is the greatest gift you can give someone who's studying movement. Right. It's like asking that elephant, can you do me a favor? You just walk back there. He just turn around and walk mm, again. Right. And he just... And he did that for like 45 minutes. It was amazing. So Andy and I are doing drawings, freezing, but we're doing drawings. Afterwards, we look at the clock. We're like, we got to get back to the bus. We get on the bus. I'm showing Andy what I drew. He's showing me what he drew. And I said to one of the other guys, I'm like, we, we never saw you guys at the elephants. What animals were you drawing? And the one guy says to me, well, the truth is none of us ever left the Wendy's. I'm like, what do you mean you didn't leave the Wendy's? He's like, well, we couldn't leave. I said, what do you mean you couldn't leave? Why not? He says, because it was too cold. Wow. I said, oh, it was too cold. You mean it was too difficult, too painful. You know, at that moment, I knew that someday I would get into Disney because I knew that I would outwork the competition. I mean, it was really that simple. You know, if we want to be great at anything in life, the first thing we need to know is that in order to be great at something, it's going to take effort. It's going to take work. You know, sometimes my kids are like, dad, my son all the time is like, dad, I want to try this. Do you think it's going to be easy? And I said to him constantly, if you want to be great at anything, it's not going to be easy. If you're doing something and it's easy, that means you could do so much more to become great at something. You watch a documentary. Look, I'm obsessed with Michael Jordan. I watched The Last Dance for the third time. That documentary on him, mm -hmm. I'm obsessed. And his work ethic is incredible. Put on any documentary of anybody that's achieved anything that you think is successful at anything. And you know what they all have in common? They push through pain. 
they push through struggle. And I've also found personally, Brian, that when I have the expectations that something's going to be difficult, it literally energizes me. It motivates me to accomplish. Look, I have times as a dad where days are tough or as a husband, days are tough. But because I know that it's going to be tough days, I have expectations that it motivates me to push through it. And as I always say, you shouldn't go through the pain. You grow through the pain. Well, Andy and I got our portfolios together. We sent them into Disney. And a couple of weeks later, Andy calls me up and he's like, dude, I just got a call from the head of Disney animation. And he told me that I got the internship. I'm like, oh, my gosh, congratulations. I was just I couldn't even believe it. And he goes, but they didn't call you yet, did they? I'm like, no, but they could be trying to call me right now. I got to hang up. We didn't have call waiting back then. Right? Right. So I hang up the phone and I'm pacing. I was in my dining room at the time. I was visiting my parents. And I'm like, my mom comes in. She's like, what happened? I'm like, mom, Andy got into Disney. She starts pacing back and forth. I pick up the phone. They're not calling. There's like, there's a dial tone, right? Why are they not calling? So I can't stand it. So what did I do? I picked up the phone. I dialed the head of Disney myself. Well, who does that? Well, I did. Because as I always say, when there's something you want in your life, you will do anything to get it. You know, I told you, Brian, I'm a huge Michael Jordan fan. Growing up in New York, I was about 13, 14 years old, standing next to the court before Michael Jordan dominated the Knicks. And before the game, I'm standing next to the court with my older brother, about 13, 14. I'm looking in the middle of the court, and there's Michael Jordan. He's got his ball, and he's dribbling. He's got those breakaway pants with the buttons. And he had that game face, that focus I will never forget. And I'm talking to my older brother, like, Jay, I'm going to go walk out there and meet Michael Jordan right now. My brother's like, you're not going anywhere. Before he could finish that sentence, I walked out on the court. I'm looking up to number 23, and I said, hi, Mr. Jordan. And he looks down at me and says, quote, yo, how you doing? End quote. (laughs) And he shook my hand, this one right here which still I've never washed, by the way. (laughs) It still has that sweat from number 23. But look, the reason I walked out there is because when there's something you want in your life, you will do anything to get it. So I dialed the head of Disney and I told him, hi, my name is Saul Blinkoff. And he goes, oh, I have your name on a list here. I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah, you didn't make it. Mm. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I'm sorry. We, we, We rejected your portfolio. Thank you for submitting. And I said, well, what about Andy? He goes, yeah, he made it. You didn't. And I was like, oh, thanks. And uh, I hung up the phone. And uh, that was a bittersweet moment. I mean, that was, I was very happy for my best friend. Sweet, but bitter because my dream was shattered. And Andy's going to Disney World. And Brian, you know what they call Disney World, right? They call it the happiest place on earth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the happiest place on earth. That's where Andy's going. The happiest place on earth. Sunny, beautiful Disney. I'm going back to Ohio in the wintertime what I thought was the most depressing place on earth. And when I get back to the schools, I'm walking the halls and people are coming up to me like, Blinkoff, what are you doing here? I'm like, uh, well, I, I didn't make it. Oh, I'm sorry. What about Andy? Oh, yeah, he made it. You, I became known as the guy that was friends with the guy that got into Disney. And I became known as the guy who did not get what he really, really wanted. And I felt like a loser. And then I came up with a brilliant way to take that feeling away. And if anyone listening can relate, If there's ever something you really, really want and you fail, whatever it is in life, you do what I did and that feeling will go away in a second. You know what I did? I gave up. Mm. I gave up on the entire dream because reality set in. Reality was Andy was an awesome artist and I was just average. And who did I think I was going to be to be able to have that life at Disney? 
You know, we all have this shoulder angel and shoulder devil on our shoulders, you know, mm-hmm. that shoulder angel telling us we can accomplish great things and become great, the best versions of ourselves. And then there's that devil that tells us, you know what, who do you think you are? You're just average. You're not going to accomplish anything. And I gave up on that entire dream. Um, I gave up on it. And I even telling you the story right now, I remember the emotion of that, of, of that feeling. And um, I gave up a week later, but he calls me up and says, Saul, I got tickets to go see a movie. You want to go? I'm like, nah, I'm not in the mood. He goes, but they're free. I said, oh, okay, I'll go. <laughs> Someone offers you free in college. You right. take it. So I go to the movies and Brian, I see a movie that changes my life. A third movie. This movie is a true story about a guy who's five feet tall, doesn't have an ounce of athletic ability and wants to play football at Notre Dame. What movie is it? Do you know? Yeah, it's uh, uh, Rudy. Rudy, yeah, you got it, Rudy. So I go see this movie, Rudy, and I'm telling you, tears are streaming down my face. And for those of you who haven't seen the movie, you need to see it. And if you're a father, you need to show this movie to your kids, right? You got to watch mm-hmm. this as a family. This is a great family movie. And it's a true story. And Rudy had a dream to play football at Notre Dame. If you were friends with Rudy Rudiger and he told you his dream was to play football at Notre Dame, you know what you would have told him as his friend? Dude, I love you. Get a new dream. But Rudy's like, yeah, well, we'll just see about that. He tries to get in, rejected. Tries a second year, rejected. Third time, rejected. But fourth time, if you look at the movie poster for the movie Rudy, it says when people tell you dreams don't come true, tell them about Rudy, he gets in and tears are streaming down my face because all I'm thinking is if an unathletic kid could get into Notre Dame with an insane amount of hard work, then what I thought was an untalented artist could get into Disney with an insane amount of hard work. And I vowed to never give up again. I called up Disney the next day. I got the same guy on the phone. I go, hi, my name is Saul. I go, Saul, I already told you you didn't make it. I'm like, yeah, I know. But let me ask you a question. Two things. Number one, how close was I to getting in? He goes, what do you mean? I'm like, well, how many interns did you pick and how many portfolios did you get? He said, Saul, we picked 17 from over 3,800 portfolios around the world. You made it to number 20. I had missed it by only three. Do you know how many times in our lives we could be so close to achieving something and we feel we're miles away and all we needed to do is push a little bit more? And then I asked him a second question. Why did I not get in? Why didn't I get in? He goes, Saul, you're the first person to ever ask me that. Because in life, we will fail. That's what it means to be a human being. The only way to grow is to fail. But when we fail, we need to find out why. And if we find out why, that's the answer key to growing. And he said, you need more perspective in your drawing. Give us something dynamic. Stand on a stool and look down at somebody or go down on the floor and look up. Give me a dynamic perspective. Me, I heard, answer key. Now I know what I have to do. And that's what it means to grow, to get that clarity. You know, when we're little, you, you, you try that circle square in a that circle square. That's nice. Yeah. You turn that, that circle block in the square. It doesn't work. You just learned. The only way to learn is to fail. But to find out why it didn't work, that's the answer key. So I go and I start drawing more perspective and more dynamic. I get my drawings together. I send them into Disney and boom. (laughs) When you wish upon a star, I got in. And it was one of the most incredible moments of my life. 
um, I got in, I got a call that I got in and I remember calling my mom right away and I dialed my mom and she could hear it in my voice. She's like, honey, did you do it? And I said, no, mom, we did it. We did this together, mom. You're the one that took me to Disney World and you're the one that supported me. But mom, this winter, I remember saying to her clearly, you can stay in New York because I'm going to the happiest place on earth. And that's where I started my dream as a Disney animator and started working on films like Pocahontas, Hunchback, Mulan, Tarzan, and started my dream living at the happiest place on earth. <laughs> wow, that's cool. That's an amazing story. And you know, there's so many lessons within that story that you could even teach through, you know, your kids, right? I mean, how many kids do you have, So, What's that? I lost oh, your Oh, I'm muted. Sorry. Oh, there you yeah, go. Yeah, we have, we have four kids. Four kids. All right. So, yeah, I mean, we have four there's, kids. There's lessons in there, in that story oh, yeah. of yours that, that you could, you know, teach your kids. And um, I think the Absolutely. fact that, I mean, a lot of kids, when they go through life and, and things don't go their way, they, they do what you said, they give up. They, and, and, it, and they don't have necessarily the role model, like, you know, you had your mom inspiring you um, or that close friend. Um, they don't really have those people that really inspire them to keep going. Uh, and, and so a lot of kids give up. I had, you know, uh, I know we're, we're going to go long folks, but that's okay. As long as Sal's okay with it, I'm okay with it. Oh, um, yeah, I'm here. But, uh, you know, I had, as I was telling you before we got recording, I was, uh, I grew up drawing. I, I drew all the time as a kid and through junior high, high school. And that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be an animator. I wanted to be a cartoonist. And, um, I didn't know how to go about it. And I'll never forget, I went into, I was going to community college right after high school. And all I knew was I need to take art classes. I need to take, go to, go to some sort of uh, art class uh, in college. And so I took this art class. I don't remember the name of it, but um, I remember the teacher, the instructor asking us to do a project for her. It was an assignment. And the assignment was, this was all the description that we got, Saul. The assignment was, I want you to draw a picture that draws itself. And she, she gave us the dimensions that it needed to be and all that. And I remember thinking that's an interesting question. Uh, draw or how, how do I go about this? Well, I, I mean, I put some thought into it and I went, okay, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a cartoonist. I draw characters, things like that. So what do I do? I draw this cartoon Fox. Okay. It's animal. And Saul, I still have the picture to this day. And I'm going to show it to you. Wow. I don't I know that. So this is a fox. And what I did was I drew a picture of a fox. And I don't know if we can see it. I drew a picture of a fox drawing himself. Hey, that's great drawing. Now, now this picture obviously is on a, I had to do it on a, so this was just the beginning sketches on a smaller picture, right. but right. I drew this picture of him with a pencil drawing himself. And, uh, <laughs> So I turned, you know, I had, he had a background. There was, there was, you know, a background behind him and it was on a bigger, you know, poster board thing. And I turned it in and uh, I got a zero on it. The what? instructor said, you didn't follow instructions. And I was like, what do you mean? I did, you asked me, you asked us to draw a picture that draws itself. She wanted some abstract type of drawing that kind of had this meaning behind it. And she didn't go into all that. And I tried to right. battle it. I tried to fight that argument. Like I did what you said to do. And I have to tell you, Saul, um, I dropped out of that class. I was so, uh, it was like a gut wow. 
gut check. I dropped out of that class and I ended up completely giving up on my dream to be a cartoonist because of that one instructor. Oh my gosh. See, that's what I'm talking about. How someone could say something and derail us. Completely derailed me, frustrated me. I mean, I've done your, I mean, you shoot, you're talking about the little mermaid. Hello. Oh, you did a drawing of Ariel. That's awesome. That's a great drawing. So, I mean, just stuff that I did in high school and through junior high and stuff that I. That's great. Know, just stuff. Yeah, that, you know, it, it's, there's a there's a, a message. You know, I travel the world as a speaker, and I speak to all audiences, all ages. And there's a common message that I give teenagers, but I also give it to adults of any age, and that is, never let anyone define how you feel about yourself. Never let anyone define how you feel about yourself. If we could go through one day of our lives and have our own self-worth, our own self-worth dictated by our ourselves, our perspective, have that self-respect and not look to the outside world for validation, whether it's getting likes on Instagram or Facebook mm-hmm. or just what people are going to say. I mean, sometimes, you know, you post something on Facebook or wherever and you're like, oh, did people respond? Did they like it? Like I had a vacation with my family. Oh, if I got a thousand likes on my trip to Miami, that means I had a great vacation. Like, what if you got no likes? Does that, should that take away the pleasure of the time you spent with your kids? Right. We have to be careful that we don't give the control over how we see ourselves or feel about ourselves to other people. And that really starts at any age. You know, you said, you know, what are those tools that we teach our kids, especially about perseverance? Um, you know, one of the things I remember my son, he's 13 now, when he was six years old, one day he wanted to use my iPad and um, the, the, the headphones were all tangled up and he goes, dad, I, I can't untangle these. I'm like, no, you got to go try, go try, you can go try, you can do it. And he looks at me, he goes, no, I can't do it. I said, you can't do it or you can't try to do it. Meaning maybe you can't accomplish it, but I know that you can make an effort. And that's one of those things as parents that we need to do for our kids. We need to allow them to fail. The only way to fail is if they make the effort. Is it easier sometimes if we do things for our kids? Sure, it's easier. It saves a lot of time. You don't have to listen to them struggle. You don't have to listen to them fail. But we're not teaching them anything. And I told my son, look, you make that effort. And if it doesn't work, I'll be there to help you. But go make the effort. And so often... It works and we see them succeed, but it's the same with us. You know, like I said earlier, I know each one of us on this podcast listening wants to be a better parent. We have that clarity. How do you do that? How do you become a better father, a better mother? Look, it's going to take work. It takes patience. The only way to do it is to work on ourselves. You know, I know that someday, and I hope this doesn't, you know, bring anybody down. It's not meant to be morbid, but the reality is that every single one of us is going to die one day. We're going to die. You know, there's an old uh, wise saying. It says, if you had to choose to go to a wedding or a funeral, choose the funeral. And you hear that, you're like, why would you choose a funeral when you go to a wedding and eat cake and give champagne and dress beautiful? And why would you go to a funeral when you could go to a wedding? And the idea is that when we go to a funeral, each one of us is faced for a moment with an idea that someday that's going to be me. Mm -hmm. And when you leave a wedding, you're uplifted and you feel good. But when you leave a funeral, you are faced with your own mortality. 
and we have the ability to realize that I'm walking away from here. What changes do I want to make in my life? Who do I want to be? Do I, you know, they also say like the closer you come to death, the more you feel alive. And someday my kids are going to look at a gravestone and they're going to see my name on there. What are they going to say? I'm so proud of my dad. He was an animator at Disney. They're not going to think that. They're going to want to know one thing. Did my dad try to be a better father? Did he try to work on himself? Did he live a life of humility and integrity? When he gave his word, did it matter? Did he try to grow as a human being? Because at the end of the day, the greatest battle I think that any of us will ever face is working on our own flaws. That's the real battle of what life is about. Every one of us should make a list of all of our negative attributes. Believe me, we all have them. Everyone. You know what life's about? Take that list and make them smaller. And take a list of those positive attributes that we have and make it bigger. The greatest battle we will ever fight is, am I working on becoming a better version of myself? We are not human beings. We're human becomings. Mm -hmm. We grow. We evolve. Who am I growing into? Was Michael Jordan the greatest basketball player that ever lived? Absolutely. Don't tell me it's LeBron. Everyone knows who has a brain. It was it's MJ. My son always defends me in school, by the way. He defends Michael Jordan. What he's really defending is his dad. It's really fun. Right. <clears throat> but you know what? Michael Jordan was an incredible basketball player. What kind of father was he? What kind of a husband was he? I don't know. Each one of us is like, like a diamond. A diamond gets brighter the more facets it has. Michael Jordan has one facet called basketball. And yeah, he got that one shined up really good. But there's many facets that make a human being. We need to work on all of ourselves, our careers. If you're listening to this and you're a workaholic, if your career motivates you 24-7, okay, your career is one facet. You know, would you take a bullet for your kids? If you ask any parent, would you die for your kids? They say in a second, okay, now that you know you would die for your kids, do you live for your kids? Mm -hmm. What do you mean do I live? Yeah, do you live for them? Do your kids know how important they are? Because the only way they're going to know how important they really are is if we carve out time to be with them. And time is the most valuable thing we have. Look, my family, we have a rule. Friday night, our phones, we shut down all electronics. Our phones, computers, all of it's off from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. 24 hours, no technology, no phones to the table, nothing. We don't watch a movie. We don't watch it. All we do is we have a Friday night dinner. And it's like kids dress up in beautiful clothes. My wife makes a big meal. We have a three-hour dinner. They sing songs. It's their whole life. They look forward to this more than anything for the week. And you have that time. You know, like in our world, we're always thinking, I want to work through the week to get to the weekend. I want to work through the year to get to the vacation in Hawaii. Our rest time is not the goal. Our rest time is the means. We actually have to have the weekend to rest so we can get back to the real work of trying to make ourselves better, create the world. But one of those things we need to tell our children and ourselves is, I want to be great. I want to work on myself. That's the legacy I want to leave my kids. And I want to show them that I live for them by giving them the most valuable thing I have, my time. It's so important, Brian. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that, uh, you know, you're speaking of giving of our time and, and us as parents, you know, we don't, we struggle with being parents, right? It's hard. It's not easy. 
but we kind of oh, fumble our way, right? We kind of <laughs> yeah. fumble our way through it. And you know, I had somebody say to me one time that you know, in school we get the lesson, then we get the test. But in parenting, we get the test, then we get the lesson. And yeah. it's so true. And it's so true. And I think that it really you know, is. Yeah. For us as parents, I talk to my you know, dads that I talk to all the time, I talk, I tell them that, you know, they live in these careers, they live in, in the, the, the career that they're trying to build to create the life that they live. And I say, you're doing it all backwards. Your legacy starts in your home, not outside your home. So That's you right. need to focus on building that legacy within your home first and the things outside your home second and focus on, I love that you're talking about focus on developing ourselves, making ourselves better each day. If a dad can be just a little bit better because he listened to a podcast like this or other podcasts, if he could just be a little bit better then I've done my job. That's kind of the way I see it. That's kind of why I That's do the beautiful. podcast. So I love that. Yeah. And you know what? Can I, can I add on to that? Yeah. There's little moments in the day where we have these little tests. I'll give you just an example for me personally. You know, people think I work in Hollywood. Oh, he's got a cool job. It must be so fun. Yeah. Sometimes it's cool and sometimes it's fun, but also it's called work. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there are days that are hard. Sometimes I work with people that are not so nice. I mean, it's it's the real world, Hollywood or not. A job is a job, right? And there are those days where I remember driving home through Coldwater Canyon. It's here in California. And I'm, I had a bad day or struggling or something's going on. And I'm coming home at the end of the day. And, you know, if you're a dad or a mom and you work out of your house or you have a hard day, you know that feeling when you've had a tough day. You just want to walk into your house and just sit on your chair or your couch, and just be alone or just chill and just deflate a little bit. And I remember one time walking into my home and all I wanted my wife to do when I walked in is see my face, see that I had a tough day and just keep the kids away. Mm. Just keep them away because I'm, I'm going to I'm going to blow any second. You know, I'm just I'm frustrated, whatever. And I remember one day, that's exactly what happened. My wife sees my face. She's like, okay, kids, everyone, let's go in the other room. Let's give daddy his space, whatever. And I'm like, that's an amazing wife. Look how she was sensitive to what I went through. But then I thought, what a child I am. You know what? I need to grow up. Instead of walking into my home, the first thing in my mind is I want to be isolated because I had a tough day. You know what? Before I walk through that doorway, I have a moment to get myself in check, realize that I'm a man. I should grow up, walk into my home, look at my wife and say to her, honey, what kind of a day did you have today? Mm -hmm. Why not be there for her? Or how about this? Walk up to my nine-year-old daughter, Naomi, and walk in and go, honey, what kind of a day did you have today? What, what, a nine-year-old can't have a tough day? Of course they can. You know, we have these tests in life. We need to grow. We need to grow. We can't go through life and think it's all about comfort. We have to push ourselves and go, you know what? Yeah, emotionally right now, I had a tough day. It's time to grow up and be there for my wife. And guess what? You walk in there, forget about your day. Leave it at the door. Mm -hmm. Leave it at the door and go have the most amazing night with your family. You know, there's these little moments that we have and are, there's tests that we can hopefully grow through and, and learn that wisdom to apply to our lives. And, you know, one of the things I tell dads specifically a lot, moms too. Once you get that goal of, I don't want to yell at my kids again. I mean, we all know that feeling when you yell at your kids and you hate yourself. I don't know. I came from a family where, you know, I heard some yelling growing up. I didn't want to be like that. I didn't want to be that yelling dad. And then there's that moment when you lose it and your emotions happen, you boil over. And yeah, you listened to a podcast yesterday, 
you listened to a podcast yesterday where you were like, yeah, I want to be a better dad and I want to work on my anger or whatever it is. But then today something happens with the kids and you're like, forget that book I read yesterday. Forget that podcast. This is my life. These are my kids. There's no way I can become better. Who says? You know what happens when we make a mistake? Got to get back on the path. Mm -hmm. You know, you set your navigator in your car. You know where you're going. You make the wrong turn. What does your car do? Recalculates. Once we have the goal of who we want to accomplish, who we want to be, when we make a mistake, do not define yourself as now, okay, I'm the guy that will never be able to control my anger. No, you made a mistake, but you got the clarity of who you want to be. Now get back on the path and figure out a tool that you can apply to help you not lose yourself. If we don't have those tools to apply, it's not going to happen. You know, there's just one specifically that I use, and that is, you know, I heard this beautiful definition, Brian, of love. And if you ask people right now, what is love? Most people will have to think about it for a minute. Well, love could be this for me and it could be this for you. There's all different ways to define love. And I love my wife. I love my car. I love whatever. You can love. I love my sports team. We have love for different things. Listen to this incredible definition I once heard of love. Love is to identify and appreciate the positive attributes of something. Mm-hmm. Listen again. Love is to identify and appreciate the positive attributes of something. So let's break that down for a second. To identify something, right? I'm holding up my iPhone. I show this to you and you can identify this as an iPhone. It takes a second to identify something, but to appreciate it, well, that takes time. That's me sitting down showing you, look what the iPhone can do. Look how it has this navigator. Look how it has a calendar, music, movies, all that. Wow, it can do all these things. You invest time, but when you identify it, you notice it. When you appreciate it, that's when you see its value to you. But what are you identifying and appreciating? The positive attributes. Mm -hmm. I love Coca-Cola in a glass bottle, Brian. I love it. I love the Mean Joe Green commercial. It reminds me of when I was growing up, that football player who drinks that Coke and the sun is glinting through. I love the commercials, the jingles. I love the design, the graphic, the taste. I mean, I love Coca-Cola. I can make you a list of everything I love about it. Does that mean there's things I don't love? Of course, it's got high fructose corn syrup. But the positive list is so much bigger than the negative list. Pick somebody right now, everyone listening, pick someone in your head right now that you love, whether it's your spouse or your kid or somebody, pick a person that you love. Well, if you're picking one of your kids right now, you can easily make a list of all those incredible things about them. Does that mean there's things that aren't negative? Of course there's negatives, but you see, we don't associate them with the negatives. We associate them with the positives. Well, now picture somebody that you hate. The list of negatives is four pages long and the positives, you don't even see them anymore. You see, love is a choice. When I met my wife and we were dating, I still remember telling my friends in the beginning, oh my gosh, I met this girl last night and we stayed up and talked for hours. Oh, we talked forever. Now we're married 20 years later. And how often do I say to my wife, can you just get to the point? Can, can you not talk so much? Can you just get to the point we right. walk down the street in our community? She knows everybody. I can't walk one block without her stopping and talking to someone. Sometimes I'm telling her, I'm like, honey, just look down and make no eye contact with anybody. <laughs> but wait a minute. I thought I loved that about her. She was so outgoing and talkative. When we were meeting in the beginning, we used to walk around Disney World together. She was a producer there. She knew someone everywhere we went. And I love the fact that she was outgoing and talkative. 
But now we're married 20 years later. You know what I did? I took that positive thing from the positive list and I moved it to the negatives. Mm. And then when you do that enough, someday you wake up and you don't see the positives on your spouse anymore. You see all negatives and boom, divorce. Oh, let's say your spouse has a little space between their teeth and you're dating. It's so cute. Oh, she has this little space. Now you're married 15 years. How do I fix her smile up? How do I change her? You see, love is a choice. And as dads, we need to realize, and as moms, as parents, every moment we have, and this is such a great tool to walk away with, if you have a moment in your life where you're about to lose it and get frustrated at another person, which will be happening every day of your life, because that's what it means to be human, in that moment, you have a choice. Mm-hmm. You, you, you want to be upset at your spouse? Why don't you choose to focus on what the value is? Okay, so my wife talks to everybody when she walks down the street. You know what? It's because my wife is such an extrovert that she's brought so many people into our lives and our community. And that's actually a positive thing. Focus on the positives. Love is a choice. And if we're going to be better moms and dads, we need to choose to love our kids. Don't think that love is going to happen because of how we feel as a result of someone else. We need to choose. Love is not an adjective. Love is a verb. Love is an action choose to love someone. I remember this one guy told me he had to divorce his wife. It's a true story. I'm like, why? And he goes, well, because I'm not in love with my wife anymore. I'm like, you weren't unfaithful, were you? He's like, no. I'm like, so why do you have to get divorced? Because I don't love my wife. I said to him, oh, well, then that's easy. You don't have to get divorced. He's like, what do you mean? I told you I don't love my wife. I said, if you don't love your wife, then love your wife. Give to your wife identify and appreciate the positive attributes of your wife. You do the work in that relationship. Don't think it's just going to happen to you. Mm. Just a great tool to walk away with. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, and I think it's uh, important for us to understand, uh, you know, for dads in particular, we, you're right. We come home, we have these bad days. It could be moms too. They come home, they have these rough days, tough days, and they just want to be alone. And I've encouraged dads, listen, find something to help you make that shift, that kind of that turn that switch off to get it off the mind of what you were, you know, back at the office, uh, whether it's before you go home, before you walk in that door, take an extra right. drive around a, a couple extra miles just to kind of let yourself kind of get free of that frustration. For me, yeah. you know, I've trust me, I've had I've messed up many a times as a dad, but for me, one of the things that I like to do, I like to go for a run. And if I'm having a frustrating day or if I'm stressed out or just uptight about something, my wife will actually say, you need to go for a run. You need to get out of yeah. here and go for a run. Beautiful. And that run Beautiful. just kind of lets me, lets me come back to who I need to be for my, for my Beautiful. family. Listen, your kids, your kids, because you had a tough day, that's not your kid's problem. That's a you problem. So, and yeah. before you walk in that house, you need to realize that. Your kids didn't have that rough day for you. Your kids didn't cause that rough day for you. That's a you problem. And you need to get, you need to check it at the door because your parent, your your kids and your wife or your husband don't deserve what that was. And they deserve the best of you. They deserve a full tank, your energy level, a full tank. You need to be able to come in and just be like all in husband, all in wife and all in father or mother. Period. Beautifully, beautifully said. Yeah. And I also, I also focus a lot on the idea that you think about why am I married? Why do I have kids? 
just think about it from everyone listening. Okay, think for a second. Why did you get married? What, because that's what your dad did? Your dad was married and you have this mental checklist in your life that, oh, in order to be a successful person, I need to be married. I need to have a job and I need to have kids. If you don't have kids, you're not successful. The reason we get married is not to have someone cook for us or not to have someone go get money for us or, you know, the reason we get married is because that is the ultimate um, opportunity to grow as a human being. If life's goal is just to grow and become a better version of ourselves, then no relationship will test us more than marriage. Mm-hmm. Because in that relationship, we have intimacy, we have vulnerability, hopefully we have vulnerability, we can talk openly, we trust the other person. And because of that relationship, I will grow as a human being. Next time you're frustrated at your spouse, just look at your spouse and in your mind, think, if I succeed at this moment with this person to work through this, listen to the other person's point of view, not get angry. If I can grow through this, that's what true greatness really is. And by the way, the way to have the reason we have kids is also because there's a level of giving with children that is unparalleled to any other opportunity in life. You know, when you get married, you share the stage with your spouse. When you have kids, you step behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. You have to push them. I have the right, I believe, to have expectations that my wife will give to me. It's a give and take. It's a 50-50 thing. You have no right to expect that your kids are going to love you and they don't owe you anything. If they show you love, okay, that's icing on the cake. With our spouses, we give. It's a 50-50. But with our children, we give 100%. We don't have the right to expect anything back. And if you can become a giver from the relationship of marriage, and transition to be a giver as the relationship of being a parent, we could really become great people. That's when we work on ourselves and become the best version of ourselves. Look at your kids and your wife and your husband as opportunities to grow. Don't look at them as possessions. Look at them as an opportunity to work on yourself. And by the way, every one of us could easily make a list of how everyone around us should change. I could make you a list of how my spouse should change, how my parents should talk to me differently. I could make you a list of how I wish each one of my kids should work on this or that. Okay, that's nice. How many of us are making a list about how we could change? Because truthfully, at the end of the day, the one person I actually can control is only myself. And the more that I try controlling other people, the more I'm going to push those relationships away and those relationships are not going to grow. We should take that same energy put it inward, focus on ourselves. And if I change myself, that will change the relationships with the people around me. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. And I think for dads in particular, you want a real gut check, go to your kids and ask them, what do I need to change about me to be a better dad to you? And kids are going to be honest. They're going to be And they may even ask you, will I get in trouble? If I tell you, no, this is for you to speak openly, speak, speak from the heart. Tell me what I need to do better as a dad for you. And they will say, well, they will let you know it. And, uh, that, that can, it can be good. It can be bad, but it's an opportunity for us as dads to improve. And I mean, you can do the same with your spouse as well, but, uh, I think for, for kids in particular, man, they'll, they'll be brutally honest with you. Uh, That's right. Certainly will. Um, I know we've gone super long. I don't know how much time you have, but, uh, I, I mean, kind of going through this whole 
uh, dad journey and animation and all that kind of stuff has have your kids inspired anything from you uh and you know with your animations have you gotten any inspiration from them oh yeah well look today i work in preschool animation right so um i love working on on projects where i can pull from my experience as a father um i'm actually writing a show right now that's all about what i was telling you about my son with his headphones untangling them uh, i'm writing a show right now a kid's show uh, about a character that uh, has to persevere and work through something. I guess I'll tell you what it is because it's already uh, copyrighted. So I'll, I'll share with you. Um, you know, the expression, when pigs fly, you know mm -hmm. that expression? It means the impossible, right? Like that'll never happen. Right. So I have uh, a, a show that I'm creating. I'm actually pitching it to Apple tomorrow. So fingers crossed oh, they'll cool. buy it. Cool. So um, when this comes out, hopefully I've sold it. We'll see. But it's uh, it's a story about a little pig uh, named Rudy. I named him Rudy, uh, who's a dreamer who dreams of flying, uh, flying an airplane, actually. And the expression that I put in it is if pigs can fly, you can try. So I try to put those themes that I learned from being a parent and through my life into the work that I do. By the way, um, you know, I host a podcast called Life of Awesome. Mm -hmm. And in that podcast, some episodes are me sharing ideas on parenting and relationships. And some are me interviewing incredible people. I interviewed George Foreman, the heavyweight champion of the world, the Foreman grill guys, not many people know him. And I go through in the intro with him, you know, George, you made $138 million your first year on the grill, your heavyweight champion, gold medal winner, uh, Olympian, you know, all this stuff, you know, and, and your father and grandfather. And I go through all this thing and he goes, Saul, first thing out of his mouth, he goes on that list that you just said, the thing I'm most proud of is grandfather. Oh, cool. And I was like, wow. This guy knows what's important in life. He didn't mention, I'm so proud that I got the heavyweight belt. I'm so proud that my grill made me millions of dollars. He didn't mention that. He mentioned one thing. I'm so proud of being a grandfather. That's the real legacy that we leave, you know? And uh, the other thing that was interesting about my podcast is the very first guest I ever had on my podcast is the real Rudy Rudiger, uh, the football player. I had him on. He tells his story, and then I surprised him and told him how much his movie impacted me. So I urge your listeners, go check out some of those episodes. You'll, you'll find some great and incredible stories from some great people. Um, but yeah, I do definitely pull from my own life and, and try to put it into all my work. Oh, that's very cool. Um, well, let me ask you this, because I know you got a busy, busy day, um, so I'll let you get going. But I want to ask you, if my listeners wanted to look you up, learn a little bit more about you, best place to do that. Yeah, please. Well, first of all, please check me out uh, on my website and sign up. I will deliver uh, a taste of awesome in your inbox every once in a while. I don't flood the inbox. I just share a couple things. So you can go to my website, which is saulblinkoff.com, S-A-U-L-B-L-I-N-K-O-F-F.com. And you can also sign up for the and check in the podcast there for Spotify and Apple and wherever you listen to podcasts check out life of awesome please subscribe and follow and leave a review would be great and of course i'm on instagram uh i'm putting out things every week uh messages things with my kids or any little message or thing i'm going through always trying to connect with my audience so check me out saul blinkoff on instagram and uh brian i i can't thank you enough for having me and uh really it's incredible work that you're doing and for everyone listening um, really, I really hope every single one of you 
takes a moment today and feels uh, an incredible accomplishment that you set time to listen to an episode like this, that you came to this dad up podcast because you want to grow as a parent and be a better dad and better mom. Uh, that shows that you are, first of all, 99% of the world is not doing the work you're already doing, just so you know. So the fact that you've set time and you've shown that your valuable time is something you want to put into, invest into growing as a human being is an incredible accomplishment. And you should all feel accomplished for, for tuning in today. And uh, I, I wish every single per- person who's listening continued success and growth and uh, and uh, do not forget that you can go up, just like the the, the logo says, "Dad right. up." You know, it's only up from here. So, wishing everybody the best. Awesome. Well, listen, Saul. Uh, thank you very much, man, for joining me, uh, being a good friend to me. Uh, you know, as I said before, you and I have kind of chatted through the through the social media airways over the yeah, last several yeah. months. But you know, I appreciate everything you're doing, guys. Make sure you guys are checking out his podcast. Go to his website. Make sure you guys are subscribing. The guy is talented. He's a great man. He knows how to speak. He's a great storyteller and uh, just an all around good guy and good dad, good husband. So um, Saul, thank you very much for being on brother. I appreciate our friendship immensely. Me too. Thanks so much, Brian. Be well. Yeah. Thank you guys very much for joining me on another episode of Dad Up. Uh, Thanks again to my friend Sal for joining me as well. Make sure you guys are checking out his podcast, subscribing, and then don't forget mine. Make sure you guys are subscribing to mine. Leave a rating, leave a review on both of ours. Um, Anytime you guys want to do that, feel the need to do that, please do. And uh, let us know. You can hit us both up on Instagram as well. Uh, Saul always answers his Instagram. I know he does. And uh, I do as well. So make sure you guys are continuing to check out the episodes each and every single week. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Data. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. Make sure you guys subscribe to my podcast and YouTube channel. And please do me a favor, leave a rating and a review. Would love to hear from you and see what you think of the show. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes each week. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Data Podcast. Podcast.